the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Snowing like crazy out here. So uh, let's let's start off with some some positive thoughts. Act as if what you do makes a difference, because it does. If opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. <laughs> I like that one. It is when we are most lost that we sometimes find our truest friends, and that's the Brothers Grimm. And life isn't finding shelter in a storm. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Ask Mr. Kelly about that. When you have a dream, you've got to grab it and never let go. And then finally, Albert Einstein. Blind belief in authority is the greatest enemy of the truth. There we go. Anyway, uh, so this is the Smart Investor Show. And if we go to uh, WHK's webpage, WHK1420, go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show, you can go directly to our webpage. And uh, there's some good stuff there. Uh, you know, I've been talking about the electrical grid for some time now, and if we're going to have all these electric cars, that's going to expand. It's going to be a big industry. Also, the utilities are starting to break out, which is good. Um, also, the RBC, this is a year old, and it's still really good stuff, and we have a new thing on oil, uh, too, but we have the Global Energy Power and Infrastructure Virtual Conference, which is good stuff. Plus, we have our top ideas, our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, and if you want to have a cup of coffee with me and talk about a wealth plan, or talk about your portfolio. I've been, by the way, I've been also talking to people about life insurance because term life insurance has really got cheap. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, you know, it's buy term and invest the rest. Uh, sometimes you use uh, life insurance to pass money on to your children and there's, you know, life insurance trusts and stuff like that. But uh, believe me, it's, uh, it's really good stuff. So uh, we'll take it from there. This is a live show. So if you have any questions, it's 216. 9010945. That's 2169010945. You know, um, I think there's four things we have to look at, okay? The big things we need to know. Um, we have seen signs of resilient, resiliency in the, uh, the higher frequency economic barometers that we track. And uh, from a sentiment perspective, a sentiment perspective, I'm sorry, stocks have already been baking in a significant amount of bad news. With the AAII net bullishness still sitting down near the low end of its historical range, I mean, it hasn't rallied much. Now, the put-to-call ratio went kind of nuts this week, and I'll, I'll talk about that on the other side. But, And also, uh, if you look at the CFTC data on asset manager investing positioning uh, in U.S. equities, the sentiment fell sharply as well in the last two weeks. So, you know, uh, it's not only the, the individuals that are out there that are bearish, it's the institutions are bearish too. 
So, um, look, we can't say stocks are cheap yet. Uh, the contraction in the S&P's forward S&P 500 P.E. ratio has been significant, though. So it's not something to, you know, spit at, let's say, okay? And as the Fed hikes uh, get underway, the GDP forecasts have started to rein in. The growth rate, you know, the growth of the trade is attempting to stabilize once more, but we'll see what happens from here. Now, here's here's interesting. I was listening to Tom Porcelli, who's our head of uh, strategy, um, economist, I'm sorry. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, okay, we got the 25 basis points, but what happens at the meeting thereafter? Could it be another 50 basis points? Could it be 75 basis points, he's, he's saying? And he's speaking this out loud, and, you know, Tom has been right. <laughs> That's the problem. So 75 basis points, I would think, would put uh, an, an end to a few things. But, uh, look, Powell's comments – pretty much unnerved the uh, market. And so, you know, there's three big concerns for the market right now. Uh, Obviously, inflation risks, the risk of Fed policy error, and the Russian-Ukraine war. And I I think that's important. Um, Look, one of the things that's happened in past bad times for the market has been a very levered consumer or a household debt ratio that was above and beyond what they should have had. Uh, you know, whether it was in, in the, um, you know, 1987, whether it was 2000 or it was 2007, 2008, uh, or, you know, 19, uh, in the 1970s, they were way above where they should have. Now we're at one of the lowest points I can remember. So that's, that's another thing that's not necessarily, you know, a problem. And if you also look, the household delinquency rates uh, on loan products remains very, very low, which is usually another very good positive sign for the economy. Uh, now, the S&P 500 went down, broke below its 200-day moving average. That's bad. It touched it last week, and I think it closed up just barely above it, okay, which is – that's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, once once that happens, by the way, the 50-day breaks down and then reverses up, which is very positive. And um, Treasury yields uh, are getting very close to the all-time long, you know, the 30-year, 40-year long-term resistance. Remember, we've been in a 40-year bull market for Treasuries, so that's something to think about, okay? Um, So I would say right now (laughs) the yield curve is kind of messed up, but uh, the 30-year is inverted, the 10-year is inverted, you know, I think the bond market's trying to find an equilibrium, uh, and that's, you know, I think they're trying to do the same thing we are, they're looking at a recession risk, a U- Ukraine war, a uh, fighting inflation, and what the Fed's doing. So uh, it's it's the same thing, I guess, uh, all over again. Um, one of the things that, you know, we, we look at to lead, that leads the CPI is the case freight in, index, and it's dropped like a brick, all right? Uh, usually, it's about six months ahead of inflation, and uh, at least since 1990, anyway. So that's you know that's something that's positive. It, it probably means that uh, you know we're, we're getting close to a peak in inflation. Hopefully, uh, now the other thing is the number, the percent of S&P 500 members down 20 percent uh, from its 52-week high is now at 41 uh, percent. It's really bad for the 
but once that 40% crossover is usually a long-term buy, okay, uh, technically anyway. Um, now, Fed, the Fed's Kaskari, uh out of Minneapolis, uh, he warned this week uh, of overdoing it, okay, because the Fed's, you know, was very lenient. Now they're very hawkish. And um, so, it, you know, it's kind of, you know, what do you believe? Now, the 52-week Williams oscillate, our oscillator, uh, became very oversold. And it's the seventh time since 2003 that this indicator has become oversold. And it's usually signals a multi-year low for the NASDAQ. We'll see, you know, uh, going forward. But we, we have a lot of things uh, that I think are really kind of interesting going on here. And, uh, and, you know, if you look at invasion, the five or five times stocks bottom just either before the invasion or just after the invasion. So it'll be interesting to see if, if this is the all-time low. But we did move above the 200-day moving average just barely. That's a big, big positive this week, I think, in, in my humble opinion. Uh, now, the other thing that's interesting, you know, I always talk about insiders on this show. I mean, that's the last part of the show, basically. And, you know, I look at Vickers uh, stock research, and it's expensive, but it's worth it. But the insider index from Vickers uh, continues to reflect improving sentiment, having recently moved into the neutral zone from a very bearish overtone for the first time since October of 2020. Uh as of this week, the index sets at negative 12.62%, and that's the strongest reading since September of 2020. Well, um, recently, neutral, <laughs> uh, current sentiment from this long term, you know, it's a six-month barometer, shall we say, uh, contrasts to the extremely bearish readings last July. Uh, you know, when we talked about last July, we, uh, we actually said that we had – didn't have many buyers, okay? Uh, so turning to the shorter-term indicators, if you look at Vickers' NASDAQ one-week, you know, sell-buy ratio has improved to 1.53, which is, uh, you know, from last week's 1.67. Uh, so these are, you know, the insiders are starting to get more bullish, all right? Now, one of the things that you have to understand, because what's going on here, and we've been talking about this for some time, is value versus growth. And we've talked about the barbell approach and how you need some value stocks and you need some growth stocks. There is a, a gentleman uh, who I have a real hard time pronouncing this name, but it's the Moladolvoski effect. And what he figured out was that most of the commodity stocks, which we've been seeing lead the way now, okay, have high PEs at their bottoms and low PEs at their tops. So a lot of these stocks, uh, if you're looking at fundamental analysis, are not good looking, okay? However, they're going up. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem, folks. They're going up, all right? So uh, that's what we have to take a look at and, and think, you know, uh, think differently, okay? So the value stocks, the basic materials, the oils have high PE re ratios, at the bottom and low at the top. So, um, look, we've had a very a growing drumbeat of pessimism going on here. And the outlook for the world economy and corporate earnings has remained reasonably resilient. I mean, you know, my uncle was a boxer, 
and he taught me how to defend myself. And he said, you know, if you get four punches in, usually you're down, the other guy's down for the count. Starts with a jab, then a cross, then an uppercut, and then a hook. Well, if you look at it, you know, the jab was the virus coming back. The hook was the Fed saying they're going to raise interest rates five times back in November. The uppercut was inflation, and the cross was the Ukraine war. And a lot of stocks went down. I mean, I was looking 32% of the NASDAQ one uh, composite, which is 3,655 stocks, are down over 60%. That's a, oh, that hurts, okay? And if you look at the, the, the New York Stock Exchange, 70% of those stocks are down 30% or more. And that's like 5,700 stocks. So it's been tough, okay? The weakness in equity so far in 2020, uh, it's, a, it's a downward adjustment in valuations because of people worried about those four problems, okay? We've got a Fed that was too easy, and now they're probably too tight. We've got the pandemic that came back. And, uh, you know, I was at a doctor's office the other day, uh, and the guy said it was amazing. He said we, we were getting 50% attendance. People were canceling all over the place. And I said, wow, that was, that's interesting. And I, I talked to a surgeon. He said his, he was down about 25% in, in procedures this, this year. So it affected us. I think the interest rates, the fact that the 2% are now above the 10% is, is something that you have to pay attention. So I think valuations have come in, and now commodities are leading the way. And we talked about commodities being down 80% just a year ago, okay? So uh, nothing goes down forever. is one of the worst bear markets in commodities history. And, and not only monetary policy was very easy, but then we had Congress come in and give away money, all right? So I think it's, it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, scenario. So, uh, look, periods of market turbulence have proven to be good times to behave calmly and maintain principal portfolio management fundamentals all right buy things when they're down now they may you may not get them at the exact bottom but you'll get close and so historically you know i think it was uh, mark twain who said history doesn't always repeat itself but it often rhymes so you know we're there again now look something happened last week that i thought was very important well not last week the week before and we had a 1% gain four days in a row. Ladies and gentlemen, that has only happened five times in modern history, 78 years. The average return from the bottom was 28%. Now, I, I think I'd be looking at small caps and the NASDAQ for that to return because what is, what is the Fed doing? If everybody's so worried about the, the inflation, and, and the P.E. ratios of all these growth stocks. And the Fed says, hey, we're taking care of inflation. Maybe all the worries in there already. Okay? So you have to take a look at those. But huge gains have occurred. Now, by the way, the Nasdaq's already up like 9%, 10% from a week ago. And we, we said not to get too bearish. We said we we're pretty close to where we like it. And we'll take it from there. Okay? Uh, now, look. Uh, we're at a spot, and I think you have to use these as some fundamental stops, okay? So if I look at the S&P 500, I think 44.55 would be a good test. And if I look at the NASDAQ, I think 3,500, which is down about nine points from here, 
would be a good test. The NASDAQ looks like it could break it. I don't know, possibly. But if we look at the weekly momentum on the S&P 500, it's starting to turn up. All right. So it, I'm talking about weekly momentum, not daily. All right. And then if we look at the, the short term, uh, we've broken above that resistance band at the 200 day moving average. And, you know, that's important, too. So uh, now the Dow Jones Industrials, uh, the weekly momentum's oversold there, too. They did break below that 3200 mark. Uh, so I would keep that, you know, 3200, 3300 area as a p- possible stop. And European markets, uh, although I'd probably stay away from them, they rebounded from a very important technical support uh, right back to a first resistance. So I'd, I'd be watching that very clo- closely. Uh, emerging markets still look out to lunch, and I, I would be uh, stepping back from those for a while uh, unless you're a really, really aggressive trader. Uh, and, you know, I'll just leave it at that. Now, I think what's important here is, you know, where you need to start position your portfolio. Now, uh, if I was a CD buyer, I might be looking at the two and, and three year CD buy uh, uh, numbers and start to, uh, you know, pay attention to those because if the Fed's going to start raising rates, you know, they'll, they'll go up to a certain point and then they'll stop. Uh, and then, you know, the five and seven year will be where you really get uh, not only, you know, if you're buying a bond and you're looking for total return, that's the place to get. But somewhere along here when they start raising these rates and you're a CD buyer, you know, look to, to add when they raise the rates, okay? Now, you're never going to get the high, all right? Uh, you know, I want to ask how many people out there have sold the exact high in a stock and, and bought the exact low. doesn't happen very often, okay? It's the same way with, with rates, okay? So what you want to do is, is put them uh, – you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. So if you're a CD buyer, I think we're getting close to the top in the rate section than the bottom. Anyway, let's take a break. Like I said, if you have a question, the number here is Just tuned in. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes, and uh, you know one of the things that uh, I, I have been talking to people about is where to position yourself on the value side, and I think that's important um, because you know value has uh, it's it's a big opening, and uh, you know I think it's something that you have to start to think about a little bit. But anyway, uh, the one thing I, I did see. This week, okay, and this was Thursday and Friday, I noticed that the, the, the near-term rally has begun to show some evidence of stalling a little bit. Um, I can't, you know, make a firm case that a reversal is underway by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, we had last Monday we had sell-offs in Boeing, Disney, Home Depot, and McDonald's. Um, and so, but we're right, especially on the, on the – uh, on the Dow and the S&P, we just broke through resistance, just barely, uh, you know, and we'll probably come back to that resistance level. That's what normally happens. Energy still has not shown any signs of peaking. Uh, you know, it's a little bit high off its uh, trend line, so, I, I, you know, I might wait for it. But for those guys, um, you know, out there, 
Now, one of the things that nobody's talking about, except for some of the smarter people I know, there's a couple newsletters that are some of the best on the planet, and they're talking about mid-cap and small-cap stocks versus large-cap. And look, uh, if you look, the and, and, and this is the long-term stuff, okay? Uh, well, you know, like 45, 50 years, small caps have outperformed large caps. Mid-cap has outperformed both of them, okay, where – Small caps has averaged almost 11%. Mid caps have averaged almost 11 and a half. You know, the, the, the return on large caps is about nine. And by the way, most of that is dividend. 35% of that is dividend. So, you know, small caps are getting interesting because of the fact that they got beat up the most. And if we're going to a more centralized, you know, U.S.-based economy, which I think may be the, the, the case for the next couple of years, um, they do business, you know, domestically. So there we go, all right? Um, you know, we are at the long-term downtrend line for interest rates. We're very close to it. And uh, whether you're looking at the, you know, the TLT, uh, that's a long-term uptrend line, uh, or the TNX, which is the 10-year, or the TYX, which is the 30-year, I think that's kind of, that's a situation where we have to pay very close attention. So, um you know, I, I would just suggest that uh, we're, we're right there. And I don't think you're going to break a 40-year downtrend on the first try. That's my, that's my bet. All right? So, um, you know, I mean, we, we closed Tuesday close to our, our session highs, which is very positive. And the QQQ daily chart, um, you know, I, I, it broke out of the downtrend it's been in since, basically uh, end of November, which is very positive. Uh, now, obviously, it's got a lot of room to make up, but, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, something you have to pay attention to. Now, some of the lagger groups like oil services and drilling are now paying catch-up, and that's where, you know, if I was buying into the oil business, I'd be looking at the drillers, the service groups, and maybe even some of the uh, MLPs, if you don't mind the, the you know, they have a t uh, K1. So, uh, you know, they, they, that's for your taxes, and they send them to you right the day before your taxes are due usually. So, But that group broke out of a downtrend, and I think it's a, that's a very interesting place to go. Um, I was looking at the charts on those things, and some of them look really, really uh, uh, positive now. I have my particulars that I like, and, you know, you do your own homework. If you're one of my clients, you, you might be in or are going to be in uh, shortly. Um, so those are some of the things that I've been thinking of. And um, so, look, we, we, we broke through uh, the 4416 area, which is very positive. And uh, I think the 4455 area coming back is an area where we hope to hold you know, of the financials, the regional banks look the best. I notice a lot of these things are breaking out on either volume or takeover rumors and all sorts of stuff like that. And the one thing I did notice this week is the utilities, which we've been talking about for a while here on the show, have broken out. They are beating the technology group right now. Okay? So let's, let's go back a year. And I suggested that you buy oil stocks for 
four straight weeks, I talked about buying oil stocks. People thought I was nuts, okay? They're leading the way now. But what was dead last in the dynamic asset level investing? It was basic materials, oils, and healthcare. And utilities were second to dead last. They were the lowest form of life. Utilities have now overtaken technology. Energy is number one. Basic net materials are number two. Healthcare is still in last place. I wonder how long that's going to last. There's some really high-quality companies out there that are really interesting. So, uh, so you know, the we did break the downtrend line, and utilities broke out in a big, big way. And, you know, utilities sometimes can be uh, when, when interest rates start to go up, uh, usually that means there's some, some inflation and the utilities are going to be able to raise their prices, right? Which means their dividends are going to be raised, you know? And they are, by the way, a big component of the prime income list, just so you know. Um, now, financials, uh, which we were worried about a little bit, you know, some of the bigger names, like uh, some of the big brokerage firms, some of the bigger banks, kind of um, took it on the hit because they do business with Russia, and, and a lot of them started to get rid of you know, get rid of those portfolios. So we'll see. The regionals look like the top choice in the financials, I think, personally. Uh, and, and some of the people who just do business over here would be would be my guess. And um, But, boy, I tell you, I would still – materials still look good, and steel broke out this week. Uh, you know, steel made a little cup-and-handle formation, and, and, uh, and a lot of people talk about those, but, you know, you can actually see it here. So, uh, you know – I, there's three or four steel stocks that I really like, um, but the, the, some two or three of the steel ETFs they all have this little cup and handle formation. So it's uh, uh, you know that's a good looking chart, and it, it uh, you know there's a local company that looks really good. It's, it's up a lot, so you got to hold on that little aluminum company I talked about. I didn't even have time to get half my clients in, and it went up like 50 percent in a week. So uh, the basic material stocks are still good. All right, and um, I, you know, I see steel breaking out. I see materials as a sector. Uh, it, it's very bullish, um, you know. And, and if you look at, uh, there's a couple of different ETFs out there that look really, really good. <laughs> and what I like about materials is they've broken out versus the rest of the S&P. So the relative strength is picking up, okay? And that's something that uh, not many people talk about, but they should because, you know, you want relative strength important. What is relative strength? It's how your stock is doing compared to the market. So what you want to be in is the high relative strength groups and the highest relative strength stock in that group. And I've, I've got those names, by the way. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, but we are coming into near-term resistance on the QQQs and the SPXs. So I think, you know, uh, we could have a pause. Uh, like I said, we, um, you know, 44.55 would would kind of, I would say, would be a break to the downside. Uh, you know, there's some upside resistance at 45.43 and 45.65. So if we got, if we got over 4,600, I think that'd be very, very positive. You know, so um, now, like I said, we've we've only had a one percent move four days in a row, five times in history. And every single time, we've had a huge move up. So keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, 
The other thing I, I saw, you know, is that the, the relative strength of the RSI indicator is now pretty much overbought, and so isn't the monthly momentum indicator. And I use a, a, a moving average convergence divergence. If you don't know what those are, you know, maybe you shouldn't be running your own money. <laughs> That's all. Uh, so th- they're kind of overbought, but um, the sector partic- participation, technologies underperformed, utilities over the last month, despite rising rates. And energy materials and utilities are moving up. The other area I think is really uh, that I really like are the rails and also the chemical companies. All right, so the chemical companies are starting to look really, really good. You know, by the way, the GAN people, which we talked about uh, two weeks ago, were right on, man. They, you know, and they're still saying we we've got more room to run. Hey, let's take a break. Like I said, if you have a question, the number here is two one six nine zero one zero nine four five two one six nine zero one. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. You know, I I keep talking about my webpage, and if you go to WHK1420, uh, and, you know, go directly, you know, to the Smart Investor Show, and then uh, it takes you directly to my webpage. If you go to the Insight uh, thing, like, there's some really good information there, like what could shape portfolio performance over the next year, um, how Roth accounts can be used as a tool for retirement and legacy planning, uh, the Fed rate hikes have arrived, what are the implications, and we've got two very smart people talking about that. Health and well-being funds, if you like ESG, investors, uh, you know, and how to work that. And the Fed rates hikes announcement uh, and goes above and beyond. It talks about this and how the Russian-Ukraine conflict leaves us more cautious toward European equities. And four strategies to combat financial uncertainty in a turbulent market. So those are available for those uh, who are interested. And I, I, it's good stuff, you know, so it's, uh, it changes every week and we'll leave it at that. Now, one of the things um, Vladimir Putin announced is that unfriendly countries will need to pay for oil and gas with rubles. This follows numerous sanctions going back to and forth between the Russian, you know, Ukraine conflict, obviously. One of the main effects of this has been the extreme downside movement in the value of the ruble. Uh, for example, the U.S. dollar uh, is up over 41% year to date. And if you look at the ruble, actually, it's down like 65% in two years. So in an effort to boast the value of the ruble, forcing other countries to make their oil and gas payments in rubles increases demand for the currency while decreasing the demand for others like the U.S. dollar. Uh, whether or not it'll have a major impact on the U.S. dollar or the euro will remain to be seen. But the U.S. dollar spot index is trading in a positive trend and recently formed what is known as a shakeout pattern. And so they, they, what you have is it breaks a little bit double bottom and versus up. And that's uh, going to be really interesting, I think, going forward. And, um, you know, I, I have this uh, – Michael keeps calling me about Bitcoin. And, Michael, I don't follow Bitcoin. I, I On a point-and-figure chart, it broke a double top. <laughs> uh, so, you know, maybe it got, it, it's well below its uh, downtrend line, uh, and we'll just leave it at that. So we always talk about the bullish percent, and, and this is our main risk guide, and it is – you're doing this pretty well, I think, uh, through some turbulent times. 
Last year, it was a little bit uh, wacky because we had like 16 or 17 moves back and forth. But each time it was right. Uh, and what I like about it is it's not subjective. It says, hey, got this many companies breaking down. You got this many t- companies turning up. That's When the market starts to break down, people just sell. Okay? It's, it's, it's psychology. When the market starts to break out, people buy. That's simple. So um, it's, a, it's a chart that was d- designed back in the 30s by some people who did point-and-figure charts to an art. Okay? And these guys, that's all there was back then. And these guys used to, you know, want, they wanted something that when everything was down and out and nobody was, you know, nobody wanted to talk about the stock market, they wanted to be bullish. And when everybody was bullish, they wanted to be bearish. You know, and this guy made his, his, uh, his, let's put it this way. The first time he started talking about this was in 1929. And he said, you know, by the way, the indicator at that time is the first time they showed it to everybody was at 89 in September. And then it fell down and it came back up and made a lower high. And the rest is history. Uh, the crash occurred. Okay, so this, you know, this has been around for a while, and it's done its work. Now we said it got down to 35, and then reversed up into a column of X's. It was up 11% last week, so a lot of stocks turned up. Uh, they were in just certain industries now. Okay, staples, utilities, basic materials, um, oil, stocks we haven't talked about for a while. Now, the FANG stock reversed up, too. So we're now at 53%. We're dead center. Pretty good place to buy stocks. And the over-the-counter index, the smaller names, you know, we just talked about those. And, you know, look, the Prudent Speculator, which is a you know, darn good newsletter, uh, has been talking about small caps now for a couple months. All right? So that's not dumb money. They reversed back up into a column of X's at 38.5. That might be a good place to go. That's a very good place. Now, the, the world index also reversed up. It was up. By the way, small caps were up 8.1%. Remember, they were 26 just a week and a half ago. And the, the world index was at 34. It's at 43. They were up 6%. So they're in a column of X's all. So, so that's, that's a big plus. Now, one of the things we've seen is um, the bullish uh, percent indicators, if you look, uh, like for the S&P 500, broke its downtrend line. That's very important because now it's a solid citizen. So not only is the NASDAQ or the small cap and the New York Stock Exchange Index reversed up, but the S&P 500 is uh, reversed up and the world index reversed up. So, look, usually when this occurs, we're at a bottom. It doesn't mean we're going straight up, okay? Now I think, you know, like I said, we've become fairly overbought. So I think, you know, we may have to, uh, you know, turn back up. So, uh, I mean, turn back down just to test the low again, just to make sure everybody's paying attention. And the put-to-call ratio this week, everybody's buying calls. All right? When everybody buys calls, it's not a good time to be buying stock. When everybody's buying put, that's a really good time because everybody's bearish. That's what happened three weeks ago. Okay? Yeah, I, even I got bearish. You know, me, Mr. Bullish Percent and all that – I, I thought we were going to turn back down and go from 34 all the way down to like five like we did uh, back in 2020. Uh, so I got a little bit uh, bearish, and I, I talked to some of my clients, and some of my, you know, I said I'll be back if we break support. We broke it for 24 hours and reversed back up. So that gets you a little, you know, everybody gets emotional. Eva, you know, Warren Buffett uh, sold U.S. Air at six. He bought it at 33. 
right? So uh, now, when, when you follow five of six positive days, the forward S&P 500 returns are usually positive. You know, for like a week, it's like a two, you know, it averages about one and a half percent. For two weeks, they're flat, you know, because you always pull back. For a month, it's like 3.8, but for 12 months, it's like 26.67%. That's the average. And that goes back with, you know, four days in a row, 1% gain. So don't be, don't be bearish out there, okay? Now, if we look at dynamic asset level investing, this is relative strength investing. You want to be in the best company in the best group, okay? Here we are. Energy and basic materials are one and two. Financial is number three and industrial is number four. You may recall energy and basic materials were dead last this time last year. Healthcare is still dead last. Communication services, that, that stuff, Facebook's in there, or metaverse, whatever you want to call it, uh, is, is in there. But, and utilities were second to last. And now they're above technology. They're not a favored sector yet. So the favored sectors are energy, basic materials, financials, and industrials. Dead last are healthcare and communication services. Why do I bring that up? Because energy services, energy and basic materials were dead last last year. So sometimes what is last becomes first. You know, the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> so financials, I would overweight. I, I like the regional banks better than I like the big banks, but the big banks are viable. Uh, industrials are improving. Uh, we have both technology and real estate. Well, technology improving a little bit. I don't know if I'd be jumping all over it, but uh, real estate is weakening a little bit, and consumer discretionary, I'd underweight, same with communication services, but they are improving. Like I said, you got to watch for that. As far as the emerging markets are concerned, um, oh, by the way, i got a shout-out for our, our boys in, uh, at Dorsey Wright who provide us with a lot of our information on the bullish percent. Great guys out of Virginia. Uh, Watson and, and Tom, I think, are both retired. I think the NASDAQ now owns them, but they're still good folks. But, uh, you know, people were asking me, where would you put money? Well, it seems to me that Europe is kind of a tough place to say, you know, go out and buy everything there for obvious reasons, okay? And uh, the emerging markets are probably going to be a tough area. But what about Latin America? You know, I've, I've, I looked at several ETFs on point-and-figure charts, and I, I looked at the iShares, that looked good. I looked at uh, a couple other ones that looked really good. Now, they're overbought. They're overbought about, you know, readings of about 90%. So you, you want to probably wait on them, but they're, they've broken their downtrend line. So, you know, what you, what you want to see is after a downtrend is these stocks or ETFs or whatever you're buying break their downtrend and then pull back. You know, it's psychology. People buy them up and they said all of a sudden, ah, I can't buy them anymore. I can't wait for them to pull back. And then they pull back and they buy them. That's what oil is doing right now, okay? Um, but anyway, uh, so we talk about bonds. Uh, you know, I think you still you still buy inflation protection for now. The floating rate bonds uh, are, you know, I think are good. And a lot of people buy these inverse fixed income bonds. That's too complicated, I think, for a lot of people. I don't think they really understand what they're buying, so be careful with those. But the floating rate bonds, uh, you know, basically if interest rates go up, their interest rates goes up with them. Okay. Uh, now, if interest rates go down, then you get another problem. But, uh, you know, we've got to see that happen first. So just seeing what I see now, I think that's the way I'd go with if I was buying bonds. 
Crude oil, uh, you know, went from uh, two or three weeks negative is now positive for four weeks. Um, one of the things that's interesting about crude oil or the oils in general, oil service oil, is at one time, back in 2008, they were 25% of the S&P 500. Technologies now was just 30, okay? Oil, even with its rally, is only 6%. There's a lot of room for improvement there, right? Okay, so oil uh, went positive for a couple weeks. Gold's been positive for seven weeks. The commodity indexes in general have been positive for 12, 13 weeks, and that's usually a pretty long time. So like I said, the breakout has occurred. Now they'll pull back, okay? Uh, corn has been going crazy. Same with wheat, uh, copper. Nickel's the one. <laughs> Nickel's up like 1,500% from its, its low, which, by the way, makes a lot – of the electric car makers, they're going to have a problem because there's a lot of nickel in those electric cars, a uh, lot of nickel in those cars. And the other thing I think is the global carbon index. Uh, you've got to watch that. That kind of broke down, broke out, and then broke down. So uh, stay tuned. Hey, we're going to be back with Insiders and uh, then a little wrap-up from our friend Rob Schleimer. In the meantime, if you have a question, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. You know, uh, I don't know if you've read anything about this, uh, the more deal that the Democrats are pushing through. It's going to decriminalize marijuana. But just so you know, an estimated 321,000 Americans now work in the cannabis industry. That's a 32 percent increase from last year. Uh, making legal marijuana was one of the nation's fastest growing sectors. So I did notice with the more thing, uh, a lot of those uh, have turned up <laughs> in a big way. So uh, there you go. Anyway, um, so I, I was—I've been looking, shall we say, um, at insiders, and I've seen quite a few uh, large buys and uh, things that I, I wasn't really expecting. And for example, Invesco, uh, the Tryon Fund Management. Um, has bought, oh, let's see, about $42 million worth of stock. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's chump change. <laughs> uh, you know, Tryon is, uh, you know, they tried to buy or they tried to force GE. They, they forced Jeff Endel out of GE, which is probably the best thing that happened. Um, so that's an interesting scenario. So Invesco is... Uh, you know, they've been buying a couple different uh, fund managers, which is interesting, too. OK, now, we, we why do we buy insiders? So why do we talk about insiders? Well, look, we started out with strategy. We talked about different groups, industries, and then we've talked about the actual technicals of the market. And now we're going to talk about different, you know, where people are buying. OK institutions are buying or insiders are buying. And I think it's a very important scenario. So um, insiders are early usually, and they and we're not looking for the guy that's buying a thousand shares. We're looking for the guys buying at least a million dollars worth, you know, that type of thing. And uh, um, 
you know, we we have had quite a few stocks that, uh, well, let's put it this way. You know, we've had a lot of names uh, come in and uh, that they were wrong just recently. I mean, the Baker brothers on Kodiak were dead wrong. Um, our friend at uh, Asana, you know, it's the largest insider buy in history. And the guy's down on all the stock. And, you know, he's no dummy. He's one of the Facebook founders, and he's sold a couple companies, so he knows what he's doing. So anyway, uh, here's another one that's interesting. Uh, Eastman Kodak, uh, the Kendi Wilson Investment Management, these guys bought about $27 million worth of stock, and then a couple days later bought another $3 million worth of stock. And uh, so, you you know, you like seeing multiple buys. I've looked them up. Um, They're very, very interesting people. you know, and I'll just leave it at that. And then we have um, also Lineage Cell Therapeutics, and we have uh, Broadway Partners, and they bought one, two, three, four times, uh, uh, about 300,000, 400,000 shares, uh, dollars worth. And then just two days ago, they bought $700,000 worth. So that's uh, very interesting. Um, in GameStop, Ryan Cohen bought more. Uh, you know, he, he's the guy that started Chewy. And uh, I I don't I don't get that. <laughs> I mean the fundamentals uh, are questionable. I'll just say that. Uh, also, uh, Pure Cycle Technologies. I noticed that uh, Tim Glockner is a director, and a couple other directors. Uh, Tim Tim bought 1.5 million. Another director bought 700 thousand, and then uh, one other director. Oh, actually, the chairman and CEO bought a million dollars worth, and then one other director bought about. Uh, Seven hundred fifty dollars worth, thousand dollars worth. I'm sorry. Uh, so that that is a good looking chart on that one. I think uh, Aspen Aerogels, which uh, I I didn't have not have time to look at. Um, the uh, a director bought uh, uh, four point five million dollars worth, and then also uh, Copang, which uh, or Copang, uh, the Green Oaks Capital Partners bought uh, about three point seven million dollars worth. And then um, Revolution Medicine, uh, at a new high, by the way, uh, a director bought uh, $3 million worth. So that's uh, fairly interesting. And then Cano Health, which is in the, a lot of these are healthcare stocks, you know, was a $9 stock, now six and a half. Uh, we had um, a gentleman buy about oh, $2 million worth, and he's on the board of directors. Um, so we're seeing a lot of this uh, stuff go on. In the entire Vickers group, you know, which is all the insiders, that's I get the the Vickers report, and it's, it's expensive, by the way. Uh, and the the insiders are turning bullish, which is interesting. Uh, and then there's MIX Telematics, which uh, is a name I don't know very well. It's a twelve dollars stock, and Ian Jacobs, who's a very smart guy, bought one point five million dollars worth. And then we had several people, uh, including the president and CEO. Of Oric Pharmaceuticals, uh, he bought 1.2 million, and we had a couple others buy, you know, four or five hundred thousand. So uh, that's interesting. And then uh, this is a new high. Uh, Kazar Life Biosciences. They they paid 16.80 for it. As it broke out, he bought a million dollars worth. Uh, and then a couple other names. Um, Itios Therapeutics, which is a down now stack, was 50 now 33. We had uh, Aaron Davis, who's a, a a director by $1.2 million worth. And 
But by, by the way, I forgot to mention Ian Jacobs bought uh, two weeks ago of the uh, uh, the MIX telematics. He bought like three hundred thousand dollars two weeks ago twice, and also uh, also uh, Jacob Charles, who's the president and CEO of Oric, he bought two hundred twenty seven thousand dollars and then uh, $215,000 a week ago. So I, uh, they were smaller names, so I didn't uh, mention them. Anyway, quite a bit of uh, insider activity, and I think it's important because uh, when the insiders become bullish, usually uh, that's a good thing, you know, uh, so keep that in mind. So anyway, uh, the long-term cycle charts for U.S. continue to show uh, evidence of peaking as most markets remain in a corrective trend. Now we're talking about the long-term charts, okay? Um, and I think you gotta, you know, you gotta keep that uh, thirteen thousand on the Nasdaq, uh, thirty-three thousand on the Dow, and forty-two hundred on the S and P five hundred in mind. Those should, those are lines in the sand. Uh, now, you know, we are seeing oil surging. I went to, you know, went to one thirty-five and pulled back to ninety-five. I thought the, the stocks would pull back too. They did not. I sold half my Matador, and I uh, now like to take that back. But uh, anyway, you know, I still own it. So there we go. We, by the way, we bought it at a very low price. <laughs> uh, but growth remains in a relative down, downtrend versus value for now. Okay, so your growth stocks, you know, you should be selling some of the ones you're up a lot in to pay for your value stocks, and I think that's going to continue for a while. Um, you know, value's been out of favor now for seven, eight years, maybe nine or 10. So, but, you know, look, the four-year cycle that began in 2022 or 2020 is kind of peaking, okay? So we're going to have some sideways movement at best, could have a little bit of a corrective phase. The monthly momentum on the S&P 500 is still way overbought, and we still are at the top end, not at the top, but at the top end of the trend line. Uh, for the S&P 500. So that this dates back to the 2009 bottom. The problem between the top trend line and the bottom trend line, it's about 20%. So you got to pay attention uh, to that. And uh, look, there's two ways to correct. There's a time correction and there's a price correction. If the Fed raises interest rates seven times and they start to buy, you know not buy bonds, we're going in into a lack of liquidity going forward. So you got to remember that. So you, you've got to be in things that are holding on their own now or getting to new highs because of that lack of liquidity is going to come and probably bite a few stocks in the, in, you know, you know, where, but the daily momentum has turned up and I think that's positive for now. Uh, and like I said, five times in history, we've had four days, with a 1% increase, and, and usually it's been a big move up after that. So now one thing is the it, is the relative performance of the NASDAQ is now an area where it's got a, got a hold or it's a breakdown versus the S&P 500. So the S&P 500, it's actually the bottom 300 stocks that are really leading the way, and, and that's basically the materials and, and earnings type of thing. So, uh, I mean, um, materials and energy. So... Uh, the, the Russell needs to hold – it's got a lot of support uh, down about 5 6%, but it's got to hold here. One of the things I did notice is relative performance remains in a downtrend, but it's right where it, if it broke the downtrend line, it would improve drastically. Now, the other thing I think is the volatility index 
you know, we talked about it two weeks ago. We said it was down 5%, and then the market rallied. Okay, so the volatility index leading one one way or the other is, is a way to go. So now we're at 20. Remember, to get to a normal, you know, normalcy is like 9 to 15. Okay, that's when we're in a big bull market. So we're still not even close to normalcy. It's the longest period of time we've been above 20 for a long, long time. Okay, a long, long time. And you know what? The sentiment didn't get that much better. It's still very bearish. So, I mean, you know, that's good. Okay, so that's a big positive for everybody out there. Uh, but now the put-to-call ratios we talked about, is that a point where you have to pay pretty close attention? Okay, so, uh, you know, you should be thinking about that now. Okay, because, you know, don't go out and buy stuff. You know, wait for it to come to you. Unless you really feel good about it. Like I said, you know, I think the oil service stock, the rails, some of the chemical companies, utilities are breaking out, but you might want to wait on those. Also, the defense stocks. It tells me we're going to spend a lot more money on defense going forward. I've got three names that I really, really like. Uh, a lot of my clients own a lot of these. And then the regional banks on the financials. They look really good. They're hard to buy. You might want to use an ETF on there. All right. So, look, going forward, uh, if you need – you know, look, if you want to sit down and do a wealth plan, give me a call. You know, if you go to WHK1420, go down to Smart Investor Show, it goes directly to my web page. Go to Insights. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, you know, for financial strategies to combat the, a turbulent market. Succession planning for businesses. Uh, you know, what are you paying for tuition? You know, all, all sorts of stuff. It changes every week. It also has, you know, a way to get in contact with me. So if you want to sit down and have a cup of coffee, talk about a wealth plan, talk about the market, give me a call. Uh, in the meantime, have a great weekend. It's snowing like crazy out here. This is Smart Investor Show. My name is Tim Hayes. Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.